Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 6. David read that for us already. Verses 1 through 12. Well, it's Christmas morning in this house. Little Johnny, he awakens to the anticipation of having gifts, gifts, and more gifts. And he goes to the tree and he finds some gifts, not wrapped, but sitting there with his name on a placard, distinguishing his surprises from his sister's. After seeing these presents and marveling over them, he then moves on to the wrapped gifts. So he unwraps a, a Lego set. We like Legos in our house. We have a lot of Legos. We're stepping on them, picking them up every day. But little Johnny, he got Legos. And then he got a remote control monster truck. Because little boys, you know, they like monster trucks. And then he received his usual socks and underwear. He just quickly discarded those. And then lastly, he opened up a little new race racetrack that he had uh, so desperately wanted. And he enjoys his toys all the day. Think about Christmas Day, getting to play with all his toys. And he did that, all the while totally disregarding the socks and underwear. Just playing with playing those toys, loving it. And finally that evening, he looked up at his daddy and he said, Daddy, you know, for my birthday, I want one of the Nerf Crossfire Bow Trigger guns. Is that okay? Say, wow, well, how, how he, he represents the human race. That this little Johnny, he gets all these gifts, everything that he wanted, and some things that he didn't, and then he asked for what? More. Yeah. Well, that's fine. He played with it all day, but now he's thinking, that evening, he's thinking about his birthday, what he might want to get for his birthday. Something is at odds with the way our lives are going. And so much so that we're continually restless. Some have said that our desires are stronger than our satisfaction, and that's that's true. And that's Solomon's observation. We have life and liberty, but the pursuit of happiness isn't going so well, is it? Well, from chapter 1 and 2 of the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon has tested everything that man looks to to find meaning and satisfaction in life, and only to conclude what? Vanity. What does the word vanity mean? You remember? It doesn't satisfy. You see it over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it means it doesn't satisfy. Chapter 1 and 2, he tests everything that we look to for meaning in life, and it comes up empty. In chapters 3 through 6, Solomon is sharing his observations with us, just his observations of life. As he's looked uh, at life, remember, Solomon is the wisest man who's ever lived. He has all the money all the time at his disposal to test all these so-called pleasures in life. And he's just coming up empty. But so far in chapters 3 through 6, he's, he's given some observation. In the last chapter, chapter 5, we saw that money-mad people aren't satisfied. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that it actually leads to more difficulties, doesn't it? Indigestion and stress being a few. We said last week the ghettos, they're full of people sleeping well while the insomniacs all live where? 
in the suburbs. Yeah. Well, today we're going to look at chapter 6, and it's a bit depressing because David read that, and you're just like, wow, where's he going with this today? Uh, a little pessimistic, maybe, for some of us. I'll be honest to you, it is a little bit. But remember that Solomon has concluded already in chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, that we need to fear God and keep His commandments and be ready for that day of judgment because that day is coming. So he's not faithless. He's not without faith. He's not agnostic. He's not, he's not atheistic. He does have faith, and his conclusion is right. And so we have to keep that in mind as we study the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's look at chapter 6. The first thing I think we can learn is that the gifts God give us and the ability to enjoy them come separately. It's, it's tragic to be blessed, but then not be able to enjoy those blessings. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun. Notice he says it's an evil, right? And it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires, yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity. It is a grievous evil. Solomon saw a man. He's wealthy, but he's also famous, right? Last week we saw that somebody that was longing for money, mad about money, wasn't satisfied. Well, not only is this person wealthy, but they're also famous. And some say, well, to have fame is more valuable than riches, right? For some people. And verse 2 tells us that God gave these things to him. But God doesn't allow him to enjoy them. In, in fact, someone else enjoys them. A foreigner. Maybe he lost them in a business deal. Maybe they were taken from him by force, as sometimes happens. Maybe he lost it during a war. That's happened many times, hasn't it? It could be that he's building up a nest egg for retirement, but he passed away before reaching retirement age. We're not sure how he lost them. We don't know. But he lost them. Look at verse 3 through 6. In the Old Testament, this man had it all. He had a large family. A hundred children is given to this man. Now that's a hyperbole, right? It's an exaggeration to prove a point, right? But there was an, it was an agrarian society where more children equaled greater wealth. Look down in verse 6. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. And he, he lived a long life. Again, he's, he's, it's a hyperbole he's using. He lived a long life. Two thousand years, in fact, right? Methuselah, he only lived 969 years, right? This man is... Had a long life. He is wealthy. But how can this man not be satisfied? <coughs> Something was missing. Although, as a Hebrew husband and father, he had everything a man could want. But notice it says that his soul wasn't satisfied. And when he died, he didn't receive a proper burial. In the Old Testament, if one doesn't have a proper burial, he was considered cursed by God. We see that in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 33. I'll read that for you. Talking about God pouring out His wrath upon sinners. He says, And those pierced by the Lord on that day shall extend from one end of the earth to the other. They shall not be lamented. I mean, no one's grieving over them. They will not be gathered or buried. 
they shall be dumb on the surface of the ground. See, those suffering the wrath of God had no proper burial. He goes unlamented. No one grieves over him. Now it says here that this man lived this long life. He was wealthy. He had it all. But he wasn't satisfied. And Solomon says it would be better if he had never been born. In fact, the miscarriage is better off, he says. The person who has it all but is miserable, they sometimes they envy the stillborn, don't they? If we can't enjoy our lives, maybe we'd be better off if we didn't live at all. Maybe some of us have thought that. But that's what Solomon is observing. God gives us these blessings, but sometimes we can't enjoy them. It's a tragedy to be blessed and not be able to enjoy those blessings. The second thing I think we can learn from this text today is that we aren't satisfied because of our insatiable appetite, unquenchable appetite. Look at verse 7 through 9. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise over the fool? And what does the poor man have, have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Can we be satisfied? Can we ever be satisfied? Solomon, he tells us why the man in the, is not satisfied in, in verses 1 through 6. And some of you, you know, I know what you're thinking. Some of you say, well, you know, if I had a lot of money, you think about that. Well, if I had a lot of money and I had this and I had that, I think I'd be, I'd be pretty, do pretty well. Or at least you say, I'd at least like to try it. God, just try me one time, would you? Um, billionaires, they, they've been asked, out of all your millions, which one was your favorite? Which million dollars was the most satisfying to make? You know what they say? The next one. It's always the next one. The next one's most satisfying. The next one's most satisfying. Yes, it's hard to be satisfied, isn't it? A man works to eat, and the more he eats, the less he's satisfied. Why? Because he gets hungry again. How long can you go without eating? Now, let's be honest with you. Raise your hand if the person beside you stomach's ground. You mind? Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I hear it. I hear it. Yes. It's 1130. Yeah, somebody's hungry. Yeah, that's what happens, isn't it? We have this insatiable appetite. We want to eat, and then after a while, what happens? We have to eat again. But we eat, so we have strength to work, right? And then we work, so we can eat. And it's just this, it's, a, it's the treadmill of life, is what they call it, right? Yeah, we go to work, so we can make money, so we can eat, so we can go to work, so we can eat. It's a treadmill of life, right? It's just a cycle. And we don't just crave food, and that's a natural thing, right? Yeah, we have to eat. But we crave other things too, don't we? We crave position and money and power and pleasure and leisure and relationships and status and possession and list is going on and on and on. But those things never, never satisfy. Johnny Carson, late night talk show host. He was in his prime. When he was in his prime, he was making millions of dollars. He was making a ton of money. And someone asked him about being wealthy, and he said, 
that being wealthy, all it did was took away the fear of being poor. That was it. Yeah, it just takes away the fear of being poor. But that's, that's about it. Because you always want you always want more. I always want more. It just doesn't satisfy. And it doesn't matter here in verse 7 through 7 and 8. It doesn't matter if you're wise or a fool, a rich man or a poor man. We all have cravings for more. And it says here, what if the poor man knows not to be consumed with making money? Can he avoid some of the troubles the rich have? Of course, yeah. Maybe. Maybe he can. But he still has disappointments. He still is dissatisfied with life. There is a wonder lust going on with our souls. We always desire more restless because we're not satisfied. Verse 9, Solomon says, the grass may not be better on the other side. You know, the idiot grass is always green on the side. We think that, but Solomon says here in verse 9, that's not necessarily the case. And we waste a lot of time, don't we? Wishing for what one doesn't have. And it's really interesting here in America as I come back and get settled and kind of learning about the culture here. There's kind of like a dichotomy. You've got in our culture in America today uh, a large uh, growing population of people who they're not very ambitious. And they don't really care about work. And they just want to sit home and, and get a check for one reason or another. And they don't need a whole lot. They just have very little. And it's okay. They just want some place to lay their head down and cable TV and something to eat. And that's okay. It's a growing number of our population, and, and that's a problem. But then on the other side, you have this other segment of the population that is just really ambitious. So ambitious. And you, you see that, you, you can tell that by how long someone stays at one job. I mean, my dad, he worked doing the same job for 30 some odd years. Some of you, you've done the same thing. But not, not today, young people. They just don't stay in one place very long. Why? Because it's that if I only had this, if I only could make this in my life, only had this position. And the thing about it is, it's not, um, that's true for pastors as well. I mean, you look at pastors, I have friends of mine who, uh, I kind of got a Facebook account going on last week. I never had it before. And, uh, and if you've, you've sent me a friend request, I'm getting back to you. I just hadn't had time, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that soon. Michael, she's helping me with all that. But there's a friend of mine that I went to college with, and he, right out of college, he was one of those guys, he wanted to be a pastor like when he was like seven. You know, there's just some people like that, you know. Me, I never wanted to be a pastor. Never thought I'd ever be a pastor. But he's like, oh, you know, when he was like seven, he's like, yeah, I want to be a pastor. And I, I was, he was called to preach at a young age, and that's just what he's done. He's a pastor. But as I reconnected with this guy, it's like, man, he's been at like a lot of churches, you know, in the last 20 years. You know, it's like, man, he's... I don't know why that is, but I think about that. You know how ambitious we are. And you know, you know how it is. The Spirit of God never moves a man from a larger church to a smaller church, right? It's always to a bigger church. It's neat how God works like that. But there's this ambition, and even passion, we're not immune to that. We can't enjoy what we have because we have this unquenchable appetite for more. Third thing we, we can learn from this text is man can't be satisfied by possessing things. And we've already said that. Yeah, we keep saying that. And it kind of keeps this, this theme running through the book of Ecclesiastes. 
there's, we can't be satisfied by stuff, right? But the point is, God has ordained that. That's, a, that, that's the point in verse 10 through 12. Let's read that real quickly. Whatever has come to be has already been named. And it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives a few days of his vain life, while he, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? In verse 10, we see that God is sovereign. I mean, who's, who's named the stars? Who gave Adam his name? God did, right? He allowed Adam to name the things in the garden. Those who have, those who can name, give something a name, they have authority over it, right? God named everything, not under Adam's rule, right? He has authority over it. He has authority over Adam. God is providentially ruling over all things. Look at, look at verse 10, the second part of that verse. And it is known what man is. Well, what is man? To define man, he's weak and he's selfish and he's disobedient and he's finite, he's limited compared to God, right? But God is infinite, he's mighty, he's faithful, he's all-knowing. Yeah, we can't, look what it says, we can't argue with him. He is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. He referring, I think that he is referring to God himself. See, God is sovereign. We can't argue with him and how he runs his business, can we? There's a girl, her name is Wang Jiaxin, and she was in our first city and went to China. We loved her. She came to our house every day. And She's a 19-year-old little girl, pigtails. Her father lived in Shenzhen, and he came home. He worked there, and he came home like once a year. And so she was really starved for attention. And we loved her, and she came to our house all the time. And she would eat with us and whatnot. And, uh, my wife, was, Jenny, was making pizza, homemade pizza. My mom got, she was there, and, and she began to tell Jenny that she wasn't doing something right. And Jenny was making the pizza. And, and you know, 10... 12 years ago in this city, in Zhangjiajia, pizza was, was kind of an enigma to them. They knew it was a Western food. They didn't know anything about it. Never eaten it or anything. Didn't have pizza stores or anything like that. They just heard about it and seen it, right, in movies or TV. And so Jenny's making the pizza, and she begins to tell Jenny that she's not doing it right. You know, she's 19 years old. So Jenny's... And she says, it, says something else. You, you shouldn't do it like this. You should do it this way. And finally Jenny asked her, have you ever cooked pizza before? You know, no one in China has an oven in their home. No, nobody. And she's like, well, no. And then Jenny's like, well, have you ever eaten pizza? And she's like, no. And then Jenny, very tactfully, told Wang Daxin, don't tell me how to cook pizza when you have no idea how to cook pizza. And don't tell me, you've never even eaten pizza. How do you know how to cook pizza? But that's kind of how we do with God. That's how we do with God. We want to argue and we think about how God is orchestrating events and how He's ruling over our lives and we don't like it. And we don't, we don't like it. 
but who, who are we? What is man? We're just finite, right? Just limited. How can we do such things? Argue with God? It's senseless. It's illogical. We need to know our limits. I think that's what this passage is teaching us. We can't instruct God. We can't give Him counsel. God, you're just not doing this right. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? We can't tell Him He doesn't know what He's doing, right? That's kind of silly. Isaiah chapter 45. You can flip there if you want to real quickly. Just flip to your right. Uh, Isaiah, let's look over. Isaiah 45. Isaiah, he's prophesying 150 years before Cyrus, the Persian leader, comes into power. He mentions his name. He's prophesying that he's going to be this leader and he's a Gentile, but he is going to, God is going to use him mightily in the lives of the the Israelites, those who are in exile. He's going to allow those exiles to return to Jerusalem. But this is just something he says about his providence and his sovereignty. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 9 through 12. Woe to him who strives with him, who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to his father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, With what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed him. Ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. I have stirred him up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. Now this is referring to, to Cyrus the Persian, but you see those the text there. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles? Yeah, the pot doesn't do that, right? And we're the pot. Right? We don't argue with God. God knows what we need. Look at verse 12 and read that again. For who knows what is good for man while he lives a few days of his vain life? Now this is this is Solomon, right? He's just trying to figure out life. He's just taking a look at life and he's testing things that, that men test or men use to find satisfaction. He says, vanity, it, none of these things please us. And he's just making observations. You know, the wisest man who's ever lived, God given wisdom, he uses wisdom to make these observations. He says, For who knows what is good for man while he lives a few days of his vain life? which he passes like a shadow. Who knows? Well, we don't, do we? The only God knows, right? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? And the answer is only God, right? The human condition has been the same since Adam, right? Adam fell. Adam lived 930 years, and it's called a few days. It's called a shadow here. And no one could tell him what was to follow him. He could never imagine thousands of years later we'd be reading about him in the scriptures. He also didn't know what would happen afterward, whether on earth or in heaven, right? Yeah, he's finite. He's limited. And what's true of Adam is true of us. We're just mere mortal men, finite, who stand before an omnipotent, holy God. Solomon's asking a real question, a difficult question. Who knows the answer to these questions? You know, only more does. And so by way of application, as I wrap things up, it's tragic to be blessed by God, and we all are. All the good things we have comes from the Lord. 
But it's tragic to be blessed and not able to be able to enjoy these blessings. And why can't we, why can't we enjoy them? Why can't we, we, we be satisfied? We can't be satisfied because we have this unquenchable desire. But God has ordained that we have this unquenchable desire. That's what the text is teaching us this morning. That's all. It's all part of God's plan. We can't be satisfied. We have this desire. This, our soul just has this wanderlust. We're going from one thing to the next, one thing to the next. Can't have enough. Can't have enough. Right? It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. I'm unsettled. And that's God's providential plan. That's how He brings us to Himself. We can't be happy by possessing things, stuff. God's ordained it. We can't do it our way. We have to do it His way. We can't enjoy life. We can't be satisfied in life apart from Him. The Westminster Confession, the first question there in the Shorter Catechism, I don't know if you catechize your kids. We, we, we do do this with our children. I think it's helpful. What's the chief end of man? I can ask my kids, put them on the spot. Jenny's going, don't do that. What's the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. It's to enjoy God forever and give Him glory. And you can't, you can't beat the system. That's just the way it, God has created us for that purpose. And until we're doing that, we won't be satisfied. We can't say to God, well, I'll show you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be satisfied. I'm going to make money. I'm going to have relationships. I'm going to do this and do that. I'm going to travel. I'm going to have all these things. I'm going to be satisfied. And you'll come up just like everybody else. You'll come up empty and dissatisfied. Tom Nelson, a pastor, tells a story of two lights on the ocean. You may have heard this story before. But one, one day you heard the story. There's one light and it blinks. And it says, change your course. Change your course. And the other light responds back, change your course. Change your course. The first light responds back, I'm a captain. Change your course. The second light responds, I'm a second lieutenant. Change your course. The first light, again, blinks back. I'm an ocean liner. The second light blinks back. I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> we, we, we have to do things God's way. And God has ordained it. He's given us this insatiable desire We can't be satisfied. We can't be fulfilled. We can't be settled in our souls until we find our satisfaction in God. He's ordained it. He's predestined God is solemnly ruling over our lives. Nothing happens to you that He doesn't allow our cause. And we get mad and we... God, you're just not doing things rightly. 
You need to give me this. You need to give me that. You need to take away this. You need to take away that. And we get mad and we say, you're not doing things rightly. But who are we? We're the pot. We don't say the potter. You're doing things wrongly. Do things my way. It doesn't happen like that. The gifts God gives us and the ability to enjoy them comes separately. We've all been blessed by the Lord. But we need to recognize our inability to find satisfaction in life. He tells in chapter 3, He's put eternity in our hearts. So we need God to help us enjoy life. So I'll encourage you, if you've never repented, I'll encourage you today to repent. What's it mean to repent? It means to see your sin the way God sees it. Be sorrowful for your sin. And turn from it. I don't want to live like that. Godly sorrow leads us to repentance. You say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, really, I'm not really sorry for my sin. I know I sin, but I'm not really sorry for it. Yeah, you can't repent. Godly sorrow brings repentance. So I encourage you to repent. Turn from your sin. Turn from living your life for yourself. And I encourage you to trust Jesus' work on the cross as your own. 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the God-man who had totally and completely obeyed the Father, He laid down His life for sinners. He died a cruel death. He was buried on the third day. He rose to defeat sin and death once and for all. Then He ascended to heaven. The Bible says one day Jesus is going to come back. He's going to judge the world. He's going to judge sinners of whom we are. The Bible says repent. You're hearing this study. We're studying this book. And you're not satisfied with life. You're not settled in your soul. So I encourage you, Repent. Then, well, how do I do that? Turn from your sin. Be sorry for your sin and turn from your sin. And well, I'm not really sorry for my sin. Well, cry out to the Lord and ask Him to break your heart. That you would be broken over your sin. That you would see your sin like God sees it. And you would want to turn from your sin. You want to trust that Jesus did, in fact, die for you. He was separated from the Father for you. He was punished for you. He took your punishment for you. The Bible says we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Repent. Trust Jesus. So how do I do that? Just talk to the Lord. Just cry out to Him. And tell Him, I'm wrong. I've lived wrong. I am wrong. I'm a sinner. I deserve your wrath and your punishment. Please forgive me. I want to follow you. And maybe if you're a believer, you say, well, how does this apply to me. Well, similarly, yeah, are you satisfied? Right now, believers, you know, well, you know I've repented. I know I've repented. I know I've repented. I, I know that I'm, I'm His. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. I'm a child of God. But you know what? I haven't lived for the Lord, but here recently, maybe, maybe I can't say I'm really satisfied with, with God. Well, that's not a God problem. That's a, a sin problem. Turn to, turn to Psalm. Psalm 63, real quick, more close. Psalm 63, verse 1 through 8. 
believer. This is for this is for us believers. If you're not a believer, repent and trust Jesus. You're not going to be satisfied until you repent and trust Him. Believers, Psalm 63. Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Cling to God. Draw near to God and I'll draw near to you. Say, right? So it's encouraging believer today. If you're not satisfied, draw near to the Lord. God satisfies us. He satisfies us. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information and we'll see you next time.